And I've had board members and, and industry say to us, that's remarkable. I mean, to make that kind of change and to continue to be successful and be profitable. I mean, it's a publicly traded company and not have that all blow up in your face. We didn't do that. We transformed. Hi, I'm Belden Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Dan Faust, a CEO at ACOM with oversight of their businesses in the Eastern United States and Latin America. ACOM is a global architectural engineering and construction business. Dan shares what sustainable means to him and how asking why drives everything they do. He describes the three groups he has to balance for successful projects and how they make decisions about who they work with. He also shares what he's been reading and how that has shaped his own approach to leadership. Dan, welcome to uh, The Purposeful Strategist. Uh, maybe just as a way to kind of get the conversation going, you could share a little bit about yourself and your current role and sort of where it fits in the organization. Sure. Glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, Feldman. I um, currently serve as a chief executive for AECOM, which is a global architectural engineering and construction company. My role is to oversee AECOM's largest business, which is located in the U.S. East Coast and also has oversight of our Central and South America business, so Latin America. So I have a role to oversee our business in that part of the world. That's kind of who I am. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, well, maybe if you don't mind, you could share with us, share with me what you see as the organization's purpose and how you went about developing it or identifying or clarifying whatever verb you might think most appropriate. Yeah. AECOM is, our tagline is, is to build a better world. And we are fundamentally an infrastructure company that seeks to help clients achieve their objectives and with real interest and eye towards building sustainable legacies. We have a, a, a huge emphasis on this idea that infrastructure is really a means to an end. The communities that we serve and the projects that we help our clients implement are really, again, ways for, in particular, our underserved communities to have better access to quality infrastructure and really improve their lives in ways that bring about what we call, what I would term a sustainable economic outcome. It's really, how can we integrate and include people within the communities that we build our infrastructure in ways that lift them up through things like workforce training and improved access to things like 5G. That's a very high level in terms of sustainable legacies, a very purposeful view of how we approach what some would consider to be a rather mundane area of our world, which is infrastructure. So that's what makes us a little bit unique. Yeah. So this build a better world idea, if I've got it right, that's kind of stretches across all of ACOM. But this idea you're talking here about communities, is that sort of more something that's how you've interpreted that for your business? Or is that also part of the whole ACOM picture? Well, 
I think it's a little bit of both. In my world, we go to market in what is arguably the densest population area of the U.S. So the Northeast U.S. is something like two and a half times denser than, than anywhere else, the next densest area, which ha happens to be the Southeast U.S. So both of these areas bring with them unique challenges that I face uniquely to my part of the ACOM business. But it is more broadly articulated in a strategy around the sustainable legacies. I think it is a particularly relevant and impactful in these urban areas, places like New York and Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., you know, some of those classic Northeast cities and then some of the more emerging population centers like Miami, Atlanta, and coastal regions in North Carolina and so forth. So it's it has particular meaning and purpose within this part of the world. Mm -hmm. How does having that purpose impact how you make decisions? Well, I think we're at a point in, in history, really, or we find ourselves, I think, at a very sort of pivotal time in our history here with all that has happened with this global pandemic and the social unrest of the last year. And I think about what I do at AECOM and how I make decisions and guide our team. I think of the term sort of transformational change. When we decide really anything here at ACOM, we think about projects and the people, the teams that we put together, the leadership decisions around people, and ultimately the projects that we pursue. It's how can we bring transformational change to what we do. So, so that's what we think about. We very much focus on the why of what it is that we do. And once we can answer that question, why do we want to pursue this project? Why is it something that's important to us? then we can start to dive into the what and the how and, and sort of build out our strategy. But it all starts with kind of answering that fundamental question of why. Can you share an example or two of some why you come up with? Because it, it sounds to me like you're almost developing a, you know, like a project-specific why for each one, a project-specific purpose, if I could use that, or is it something different? It is project-specific, mission-specific. Certainly, we can talk a few specifics and examples. Much of it is uh, around taking a very traditional view of uh, our infrastructure project and engaging with communities in a more purposeful and more meaningful way. And a lot of what we think about and spend our money on and invest our time on is, is around this idea of developing a workforce that is more inclusive. And so that's a very tangible way that we look at more equitable legacies and outcomes. This is particularly important. So transit projects in a city like Philadelphia, we've actually will take leadership roles and there are a number of initiatives in that city around developing the workforce and helping, again, those underserved communities participate in infrastructure. You know, years ago, it would be not uncommon for major infrastructure funding and programs to come into a major city and implement and leave. Ultimately, the economic benefit would be realized by a select few. And we very much want a different outcome in how we propose and plan and ultimately drive success. And I think one, one of the things you, you see, and it's very exciting for us in this infrastructure bill in the U.S. that's being debated is the federal government really using the power of the purse, uh, the, the money that they're investing to drive some of these outcomes. That's exciting and very much aligned with our values to see that money really tied to more to social outcomes, this concept of ESG, 
uh, that is so popular for us, it's very meaningful. Mm-hmm. You talked about sort of sustainable legacies. I get the sense the way you're describing it, that's not just sort of environmentally sustainable, but sort of has other aspects to it. I guess part of it is building a, a more skilled workforce. Are there other things you might put in or draw out from the word sustainable? There's certainly an interest in looking at more resilient infrastructure that will serve the needs of the community in a way that looks at the whole life cycle, right? So if you think about some of the infrastructure, and I've been in this business long enough to remember infrastructure that we built 30 years ago, in many cases is not serving its purpose today, right? And so we think about the actual physical design, we think about the aesthetics, we think about how that design relates to communities. Perfect example, and you're hearing a lot about this in the U.S., is the deconstruction of large interstates, large swaths of interstate highway that were built in the 60s and 70s through the middle of cities, places like Buffalo, again, I'll mention Philadelphia, New York, where communities were literally cut in half. The deconstruction of those types of facilities is a big part of the plan going forward here in the U.S. and elsewhere. And so we do think about that when we think about the planning and design of things like transportation. It is more than just workforce training. It is also taking advantage kind of at a systemic or a system level of, you know, how can we think about infrastructure, things like transit corridors and so forth as ways to build nodes of economic development around a community. It's what we leave behind and how that transportation facility can unlock economic value for a community. Those opportunities will often be brought to bear around public-private partnerships or innovative financing schemes involving tax incremental financing and so forth, where we can unlock the value of the real estate and the land. But in a way, again, that doesn't exploit people. That actually makes them part of it. When it comes to P3s, certainly in the U.S., there are some boogeymen out there in terms of communities that perhaps are left behind. We want to think about that a little bit differently. Finally, you know, a big part, and this was really apparent to us in the pandemic year uh, or years, the disparity in, in terms of access to technology within our underserved communities. And so we want to make sure that we think about things like 5G and how when we go in and do anything within a city environment, we can best use the opportunity of, of building in an environment to make sure we're making those connections, building out those connections uh, anywhere we can. Again, you see that reflected in the infrastructure plan that, that the Biden administration has put forward, is, is that those folks who really couldn't take advantage of remote learning because they didn't have the technology, we want to make sure we think about that. It's not just cities, it's rural communities as well. So one of the things I, I get from this, I just want to play back, make sure I've sort of got it right, is that you've got this very big build better world, but could sound sort of abstract kind of purpose. But then as you look at specific projects that sort of bring that alive, then you have to look in a very rounded way at the impact that this project could have either for good or maybe less good. And bear in mind a lot of different communities, which might not always be the most obvious people to think about. Is that sort of the way you go at it? We try not to just be executors of projects. For us to be successful, we need to be members of the community. And we need in that regard to look like our communities. 
communities and we need to come from those communities. And so this concept of developing the next generation of workforce is not just about training up people for some big initiative that a client may have planned, but it's also how do we how do we actually reflect this in ourselves? And so we differentiate ourselves from many of our competitors in this regard. We have a, you might call it a distributed network of resources. So we don't pull our resources in one location and parachute small teams in to do things. We actually live and work in these communities. And so we want to think about ways that we can invest, not just in projects, but in the people and in corporate social responsibility initiatives, sponsorships, uh, scholarships, but also, in, again, in our own workforce. So we have some, some fairly audacious and ambitious goals around what our workforce will look like in 5, 10, 20 years. So it's a long-term vision uh, about the future of work that we think about. And we actually have branded that internally as our, our vision and externally for what will work look like in uh, a post-pandemic world. Post-pandemic and also, again, post some of the social unrest that was the onus for so much of this, it all sort of coming together in the summer of 2020. This is a benchmark time in the world, certainly here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we haven't really talked about so much is, well, how would you describe your strategy in this? Is it the same as your purpose? It's just, you know, we, we pursue the purpose and that's our strategy, or is there a different lens you look through? How does all that develop? Well, I think it's very similar. We take this concept of the why and we apply it to strategy. We want to think in terms of how do we measure and hold ourselves accountable? Because in any venture, be it government or business, there has to be some level of scoring. And so we, we want to make sure that when we think about where to invest and where to put our emphasis, well, how ultimately will that project or that investment align with our objectives uh, and who we say we are? I think of it in terms of an ecosystem. We want to make sure that our resources, our clients, and ultimately on our investors, that there's alignment on, on all three things and that there's a shared understanding and purpose across all of those things. So it can't be all about the investors, can't be all about the resources and the team, can't be all about the client. It's got to be all three. One of those things, and you'll see this in projects that go awry or businesses that go awry. One of those three, perhaps two, get out of kilter. So I always try to keep that in mind. Yeah. And so does that mean at times, as part of both your purpose and your strategy, you consciously decide that this is just either not somebody we want to work with or not a project we want to get involved in, or you know, the way it's set up won't allow you to successfully strike that balance? Uh, it, it does give some clarity and bring some things into focus. It's very interesting. But the, the short answer is, yeah. We're going to decide not to work for certain entities and people that don't align with our ESG or our projects as well. That's right. We'll say no, probably more often than we would have in the past. Really? Internally, how's that gone down? Has it been like, great, I don't know why we were ever doing those projects in the first place or sort of, well, I, don't, I don't get it. Why aren't we doing that? A little bit of both. We do work for, for various DOD entities uh, across the enterprise and Department of Defense, military type type work. And those people, we don't want them to feel devalued in this process. But we have to be careful we don't send those people the wrong message, right? That, you know, that we do value all those things. So it causes stress in the process that can 
almost feel like relief. Like let's, let's unburden ourselves of that. So in some ways it can be very uplifting, but it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. Right. Throughout all of this, what's the impact been on you? My uh, approach to my life and my career has been a bit of a wanderer. I'm not somebody that plotted out a career path. I'm uh, not afraid to learn through failure, and I've and I've done so <laughs> more than once. And so, it, all of this has happens at a point in my life and career where I've got launched children and who teach me quite a bit. My place in all of this is a little bit uh, more around guiding people and helping people sort through noise and and find their own purpose in all of this. It's a little bit different. When I look at the younger people coming into this new sort of way of looking at infrastructure, I see all of the excitement and it can be very noisy. We need to emphasize productivity over busyness, right? So we can be very busy doing a lot of things, but are we really productive? So I spend a lot of time with people, helping them sort through all that. How can you be most impactful, most productive? What's important? Mm -hmm. Both you and the organization have wrestled with maybe viewing what you're doing a bit differently, clearer on the purpose, maybe having at times to make some tough choices. Anything in there that you think, boy, I'm really proud of that. That was one of our finer moments when we did this or didn't do that. Or I think the uh, it's formed this company in a relatively short amount of time. And it's not just around some of these bigger social and economic post-pandemic issues we're talking about, but it's also in ACOM's transformation as a company. It's hard. It's hard to transform a culture. We were not too long ago, the ACOM brand was about, we do everything. And this was, if you recall back 20 years ago, there was a lot of interest in public-private partnerships. And there was some thought that many of the public institutions and much of the infrastructure around the world would be privately owned and maintained. And so we dove feet first, head first into that, created an organization that looked to exploit that vision. And so we tried to be all things to everybody. We wanted to finance and plan and design and build and operate anything around the world. That has completely changed over the course of two years. And I've been proud of the fact that we've admitted, again, as a company, as an entity, that some of that was a mistake. We've sold off assets and we've said, this is not who we are anymore. It was accelerated by the pandemic. Um, so we would have gotten there, but we wouldn't have gotten there as quickly. And I've had board members and, and industry say to us, that's remarkable. I mean, to make that kind of change and to continue to be successful and be profitable. I mean, it's a publicly traded company and not have that all blow up in your face. We didn't do that. We transformed. You sort of talked earlier about your learning approach and kind of taking this slightly wandering uh, strategy to your own career. I'm just wondering in, in this particular over the last couple of years, you know, as this transformation is this clarity about identity has been happening. Were there any things in there that looking back on it, you kind of think, hmm, that didn't really go quite as well as I had hoped or, or collectively we, we learned a bit through that. Was there any, you know, any kind of rough spots along the journey? Yeah, uh, always. So 
big picture, ACOM has gone through, I somewhat described it, the sale of companies and subsidiaries and certain business lines, if we, if you will. So that's a clear, I would describe those as fire sales. <laughs> and so that's clearly a coming to the end and saying, okay, are we going to hang on to this because we can't stand to admit that we made a mistake or are we going to get rid of it? In that process, by the way, so we changed our management team, we changed our CEO, and we had some activist investors weigh in in a very stressful way. That was very, you know, tell us, we don't like what you're doing here. And and so that's very humbling. You know, more, on a more personal ba- uh, level, I think the roles uh, and, and responsibilities that, uh, that I've taken on have grown and have caused me some discomfort and stress and, and certainly mistakes. My, but some of my mistakes more specifically have been around people. And so when you go through this process, you find that people used to work, don't work anymore, you know, don't don't function the way you need them to. And you you make decisions that are wrong. Frankly, that's a very recent one for me that you have to be willing to correct. Ideally, I subscribe to the, the Jack Wells philosophy that you want people to ultimately come to that conclusion themselves. You really, that is my ideal. If I'm doing it right, I think it's a mutual people getting to the same place that this isn't the right place. So yeah, that's uh, that's been part of the experience here recently. Yeah. Any thoughts, advice, suggestions you might have for other leaders who are trying to get their organization sort of on a path that matches their purpose, their sort of real true identity. One of the reasons I've so been so intrigued and so so thankful to have the opportunity to talk about this topic of purpose and strategy because it is important to start with purpose. That does come first. And I'll ask the question, you know, why do we want this work? Why do we want to do this? And it's amazing when you pull on that thread, how sometimes people can't answer that. Or sometimes they finally get to it. Well, they, we want to do it because it's, it's, it's what we do, or it's, 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 a, it's a big project. We like big projects. Why do you like big projects? And you just keep asking why until you finally get to the core. Right? We're worried that this could happen. You know, so we think we are the right people to do that. That's what you want to get to right? with people is the core why. It's not easy. Yeah. Any particular books you might have read recently or, or things, articles, whatever, that that you think, ah, this is something many people wouldn't think was important to read if you're trying to run a big organization or a business or, you know, but, but actually you, you might point to and say, it's maybe that's the only thing, but here's something that might not occur to you that would be worth having a look at. This is my second time through reading the Bible. I think the Bible is an interesting read that it's a gift for us all. Uh, and I think the other teachings that the Quran, the Torah, I think that there are those philosophies, I think it's important to study world philosophies and ways of organizing and thinking about life. It's what I'm immersed in right now. I've, I've always gained great insight from, you know, the traditional and I would say classic leadership teachers, the Drucker, you know, effective executive is what I go back to. This concept of being productive versus being busy is, is embedded in much of what you read in Drucker. John Wooden, the great coach um, and teacher, is somebody I've always admired. I draw from a few different sources. I think it's important to be inquisitive, and it's the philosophies of how to organize your life, I think, that are important. Yeah. 
Now I can I can kind of see a, a through line from sort of your deep interest in an investigation of philosophy, and you've used the word spiritual a few times. It's sort of really deep. Who am I in the world? Who am I? I can see a real through line from that to the way you lead to what your teams can do. Everybody's built differently, but being an authentic leader, you know, is probably an overused word, but people see it. People know when they're dealing with somebody who is is given a kind of management speak versus just be authentic, just be a person. Everybody has their own unique gifts. I'm not a particularly gifted technical person. I'm an introvert by nature, but I love people. For me, it's a, when I think about what's the thing in the day that I get most excited about doing, it's when I have a people-oriented task before me or series of tasks that I really enjoy the most takes all kinds, but for me, it's about the people. That's great. That's probably a pretty good note to end on. Again, let me thank you so much for joining us and for sharing both your experience, but also kind of of yourself. I thank you for the opportunity. I thought it was great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.